Hello, I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm in my garden in London, and I'm walking down the garden path to the music room. In there, I'll find my husband, the composer and conductor, Stephen Barlow. Now, we've been married almost 40 years, and I think, however long you've been with someone, you have questions that you'd like to ask your partner. So this podcast is my chance to ask Stephen the questions I've always wanted to ask him about one of his and my greatest passions, classical music. Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this extremely exciting, festive they episode. They all are. Festive episode of Joanna and the Maestro, because this time we're going to be doing Christmas music. And this is just one of the things I look forward to so much. All <laughs> through the year, funnily enough, I look forward to Christmas music. So do I. It's wonderful. What was your Christmas like as a little one? Well, you, well I wanted you to tell me first. Oh, well, first because of all, because I'm older than you and because no, I saw no, Christmases before you did. not. I'd never draw attention to that. No. Well, the Christmases I can first remember, of course, were in faraway lands where snow didn't exist and reindeers and sleighs and everything were fairy stories, where really. Where were you? Well, in Hong Kong when I was quite small and then also in really Malaya, Malaysia as it is now, mm. where it was boiling hot all the time. Every morning you got up to a slam dunk of great heat. Every afternoon there was sort of tropical rain came bursting down and it was very beautiful and very vivid and all the leaves were green all the time. So there was no autumn, there was no sort of winter. That was winter. Kuala Lumpur. That was KL in the middle of the emergency, mm. it was called, in the, in the early 50s. 1951 to 54. So but what we did at Christmas time is we'd get, mummy would get cotton wool balls and we would stick them onto the windows. I didn't know what they were, but they were obviously snowflakes. Uh. And I think, I wonder if we had any sort of Christmas pudding. I don't know. I think we might have gone to some sort of army church for Christmas service. Maybe. I can't really remember carol services. Yeah, well, yeah, I was in Australia a lot. And, of course, at the other end of the world, Christmas is at the height of summer. And all the stories I heard about the way they celebrated, I mean, Matthew Farrell, who was the principal cellist, told me that they always went to the beach, had a barbie, and did prawns and burgers and spent the day, Christmas Day, on the beach in their swimmers. and But... There is a thing in Australia and New Zealand that some people still will enjoy the depths of winter celebration mm. and sort of have a pretend Christmas. Because Christmas goes back much longer than Christmas, really, doesn't it? It's winter festival time, so it's always the idea, particularly in the northern climes, of yule logs and gathering around fires and saving up the best bits of food. And quite a lot of it was dried fruit and dried food, which makes, brings up all the mince pies and Christmas puddings and things like that, because it was all kind of dried fruit and trying to keep warm and brandy poured over things, things lit on fire. So it was a whole notion of a, of a midwinter celebration before well, it even became a Christmas. Yes, well, exactly. Is it worth saying that in this country, the old pagan rites and religions, although they weren't really religions as such, but the division of the year into four quarters, mm. the seasons with Beltane. And so our Christmas is really a mixture, isn't it? At Christmas in church, you often see the green man yeah. 
is also part of the celebrations. Yeah. That old symbol of fertility. And so I think a lot of our feasting comes from the depths of winter needs. There's that wonderful carol, The Boar's Head, which celebrated an old English rite of sacrificing a boar. And the boar's head was the, the primary part of the big feast. And a lot of our carols actually come from the 16th century and, and, and earlier. And when you went around singing and you'd That's take right. a bowl for collecting things, you used to, if you haven't got a... F- penny, a halfpenny will do. If you haven't got a halfpenny, well, God bless you. These Christmas are... is coming and the goose is getting fat. This idea of eating meat every day didn't exist at all in those days. Meat no. was a great luxury and for high yes. days and holidays. And of course, a goose at Christmas time. I can't think of all this because I'm a vegetarian. It makes me feel V-sad. And I always want a no-kill Christmas is what my idea of heaven is. A few bits of celery and a little <laughs> bit of cheese. It is. You can understand, dear listeners, the... <laughs> <laughs> the problems that, that we might encounter, but we don't really. So up to what age were you celebrating Christmas abroad? Till I was eight. Mm-hmm. But we always had stockings. And my father, who used to play rugby, had some old red rugby socks. And so we each had one of his rugby socks. It was our Christmas stocking because they were socks which came right up to your knee. I've still got mine. And looking at it now, it's quite a small thing. But it would always have, when we came back to, to England, tangerine at the toe. Tangerines in those days meant Christmas, the smell of a tangerine. You could get oranges throughout the year, but tangerines only came at Christmas time. Yep, absolutely And you'd get a coin, a penny or a sixpence or something like that. Yes, or a threepenny bit. A threepenny bit, something like that. We would always get a bar of soap. My favourite soap was sandalwood soap from the Far East. Mm. And my sister's was always Lily of the Valley. And there was always morning or cussons, one of those old-fashioned soaps. Mm. Mm. If we were lucky, get a paperback. Mm. And sometimes a little... A bar toy of chocolate, or a doll, maybe, or maybe a, bit a tiny or... bit of chocolate or something like that. But they were little sparse things. The idea of having pillowcases absolutely stuffed with the expensive presents was not the order of the day. But the rustle, waking in the morning and, and the magic uh, of the Christmas stocking being filled and you were asleep. And gradually coming to terms with the fact that the stocking was not actually delivered by Santa. Shall I tell you the most frightening song I've ever heard at Christmas? I saw Mummy. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. And I thought, oh, that's so awful. Faithless Mommy, because I didn't know that Santa Can we Claus hear that? was usually Daddy dressed up in a beard. Was that Shirley Temple or something? I think the original version was by Jimmy Boyd. But for me, the only version worth listening to would be by the Ronettes, which starts off with those plaintive strings right before the beat kicks in. It's fun and it's lively. And it's got that Motown groove to shake up your Christmas playlist.
you know, when I went away to school at age nine, I wasn't in the choir until my last two years. But honestly, Christmas at the choir school, amidst all the services, and we did midnight mass as well, was just so joyful. And the school was decorated. And after our Christmas Day matins, because the morning service on Christmas Day is always so alive, you know, with many more people bringing their children, and we'd all gather in the dining hall and would be served a fantastic Christmas lunch. And Gerald Knight was a guest of honour. Now, Gerald had been organist of Canterbury Cathedral and then gone on to be director of the Royal School of Church Music. But he was a single man, and he, he came down every Christmas, or he might have been widowed, actually. I can't remember. He would come down and sit at the top table as the guest of honour, and in all of the Christmas puddings, he would have put threepenny pieces. <laughs> so several choristers would find themselves with a threepenny bit in their teeth, and hold it up and I've got one, I've got one. But music was mm. everywhere. That's the point. I think it's it's very European. Our Christmases are, because Prince Albert, who was German, brought the whole notion of Christmas trees and... Christmas trees? Christmas yes, trees. Yes, that was but, Victorian. Sure, but we had Christmas before then, but I think he made Christmas even Christmassier, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It became quite a thing to decorate, which we see even now, the White House or very rich rock and roll stars showing their Christmas trees, or ten of them, all mm -hmm. beautifully decorated, or the Christmas shops always have Christmas trees decorated. This was all Prince Albert. And he knew what, how much pleasure it would give because you can have a Christmas tree. It doesn't matter what faith you are. It's a symbol of sort of light and hope and excitement and beauty bang in the middle of dark, mm -hmm. bare, leafless mm -hmm. winter. Can you remember one of your favourite carols from those very early choir school days? Well, yes. The standard ones, while shepherds washed their socks at night. Mm. Well, no. <laughs> well, that made you laugh. But look at my face. Look, very, does. very cold face. No, I'm afraid that we had certain habits that have never died because you could change the words and sing in the hymn and only the people very close to you could hear you doing it. So if a group of three or four of us washed their socks... Just very delicately, so we knew. That's a tradition, as you know, that goes on in choirs everywhere. And hark the herald angels sing, oh, come all ye faithful, which we'd always finish with. And God rest ye, merry gentlemen. I always thought it was God rest ye, i.e. go to sleep, merry gentlemen, because you've had enough to drink. It wasn't. It was God rest ye, merry. So keep on... Be merry, gentlemen. That's what it means. <laughs> Keep being merry. I thought the whole thing was rather frightening, actually. The merry gentlemen. I never wanted to meet them. Quite a lot of Christmas carols I find a little bit spooky. There were certain carols, weren't there? What was that one? Let all mortal flesh keep silent. I don't think that's Christmas, though. Oh, is it not? No, I think that's something else. Well, what's that? What, um, They're frightening. They're all in a Masters mind. in this hall. Masters in the hall. Oh, I'm... frightening. They're all going to a minor key. And some of them are a bit spooky, spooky. And I have to say, away in a manger as well. Um, Stille Nacht, Silent Night. It was written as a poem first, and the melody was composed by Franz Xavier Gruber, who was a schoolmaster and organist. And there's a wonderful simplicity to the melody. It's gentle, and it always reminds me of the extraordinary truce during the First World War between the Germans and the British. 
And I like, for that reason, I like the other one. It came upon a midnight clear, angels singing to the earth. That yes. was lovely. I loved that idea of angels flying overhead. I still like it. We've got aeroplanes actually flying overhead today. But some of them got wings, and that's good enough. <laughs> Where are you going with that? Now, the interesting thing about all the cows is that at the time when we got to know them, we could sing them off by heart, mm. but we never really read the words. It's interesting. I, I was just looking at a few in the last couple of days and just seeing how precisely some of them tell a story for every moment. And the thing that really struck me was that our traditional carols date back centuries. And it's not only from this country either. I mean, we use lots of old tunes. And interestingly, they are French, Spanish and German tunes yeah. in there as well. So we've kind of collated over the centuries. And there was a period in the 19th century when certain organists of the big cathedrals arranged them. So we have them now, but in their glory, you know, the Coventry Carol, for example, has been arranged in all sorts of ways. Is that Lale, the little tiny child? Yes, yes. It's the most gorgeous tune. Mm. There are so many different versions and variations on these old tunes. But for me, you can't beat the recording of the choir of King's College, Cambridge, singing the Coventry Carol. The melodic progression is so hauntingly beautiful. like the old one, which was Adam Leigh Bounden by Boris Ord, because that's written in ancient, sort of Chaucerian English. Adam Leigh Bounden, Bounden in a bond. Four thousand winter, thought he not too long, and always four, you had to say, a napple. Yes, he a did. A napple yes. that he took. An apple. Apple, as Clarkies finden, written in their book. We used to have to sing Clarkies finden. Finden. Nay had the apple taken been, if the apple hadn't been taken, the apple taken been, nay had never Our Lady a been heaven's queen. So what they're saying is it was completely right that poor old Adam was expelled and that Eve gave him the apple. It was inevitable. And if it hadn't happened, if it hadn't happened, there wouldn't have been Christianity, is what they're saying. We talked about this last night. I said, but Boris Ord wrote that. Boris Ord was organist and director of music at King's College, Cambridge. In fact, I think he started the Nine Lessons and Nine Carols format, which happens every year at King's. 
as a tradition and is broadcast all over the world to hundreds of millions of people. It goes out on the radio and then later it goes out on the television as well. It almost always starts with a solo chorister singing once in Royal David City. That's right. Little trouble. And do you know how that chorister is chosen? No. You would expect, wouldn't you, that the boy chosen would know beforehand? Yep, not. Nope, not at King's. So apparently, so the story goes, they process because they go to the back of the chapel and then process in. Mm. And just as they get to the back position, Mm. the organist at the time points to a particular boy and he does it. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good because they're all on there. They're all ready to sing it. They're all prepared to sing it. And boys don't then get so squeamish about it. They just sing it. No, that's right. That's absolutely right. But even so, it's rather like somebody pointing at you going, You're on as Hamlet tonight. And you go, Oh my God, I was the grave digger before. I you get think, tough. But you know, you know, I think, I think young children at that age, boys or girls, both, they don't really know what nerves are. No. And also, you can't imagine being broadcast to 100 million people, all they know is the chapel and who's in it. And they know they can sing the part, and they've got all their friends around them, so you just do it. My heart really goes out, though, to the baritone that's chosen for In the Bleak Midwinter by Harold Dark, who has to sing a whole third verse. It's a message of hope which blends minor and major chords to create a slightly unearthly and mystical sound. Now, that's a young fella of 19 or Does 20. Somebody pointed him? No, 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 no. He's, he, he's, <laughs> he's practised plenty, hasn't he's he? He's told there'll be 500 million people listening <laughs> to this and it will be recorded and it will be on YouTube forever and ever and ever. Are you sure your technique's in good order? <laughs> so he's absolutely jittering. like to listen to some of the songs that are around Christmas, which I know drive you mad. They can't play enough of them. I like shops playing them back to back. And that's the Christmas songs. I like everything about sleigh bells jingling and oh, people what? wearing wonky Christmas mean- hats. And you know, just literally, ex- listeners, please just... <laughs> he was holding a mug of coffee in one hand. He swivelled round with his left hand, tried to play that, I think... Fairly unsuccessfully. And you know I'm not good at remembering tunes. That's Sleigh Ride by Leroy Anderson, isn't it? Yeah. The original starts off with a brassy fanfare before the melody comes in. It's bright and busy in the woodwind and the percussion drives this tune along with a wonderful sense of gusto. I don't know who wrote it, darling, but it's jing, jing, jingling. And everything to do with jingling. Christmas in America, of course, is absolutely huge, which is why they have white Christmas, because we don't often have white Christmases here. In North America, and particularly up into Canada, they have white Christmases every year. And people like... Judy Garland singing, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I felt Little Christmas always a little bit patronising. Do you know what that comes from? Meet Me in St. Louis? Yes. Oh, does it? Yep. That was a guess. It was written especially for Meet Me in St. Louis, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. 
And it's actually a very poignant moment in the story mm. because they're having a very hard time. And so they're saying, have a lovely Christmas and everything will be better next year. Yeah. It's one of the great tunes, though. The sound of the glockenspiel and strings swelling and engulfing you like a mist. Then Judy's voice comes in, which is so rounded and beautiful. It's truly an iconic Christmas tune that always stays with you. Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let your heart be And, of course, coming up later and later, most Christmases have some lovely new Christmas song. And I lost my heart quite a long time ago, literally the first time I heard it, mainly because of the the back backing, which is Wham! Last Christmas. It's one of the best songs ever written. It's incredibly sad. It isn't. He's he's being brave. He knows that if you kiss me now, I'd lose it again. He just knows he's just completely lost his heart. I have to say that that you you insist on on having that song. And if it's not on the radio in any given hour, you actually go and find it. I find it and put it on. Another one that I love, Elvis can sing anything, anytime. And, of course, he had an extraordinarily large collection of Christmas and carols and, and holy songs that he sang. He says, it's going to be lonely this Christmas. Elvis, don't be lonely. We'll <laughs> never leave you alone. We want, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, Bing, boobity boobity, Bing Crosby, singing that. we just got to hear that from Bells of St Mary's, I think. It's got it? to be Bing. I'm dreaming. Of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear Irving Berlin's White Christmas was first performed on the radio on Christmas Day. It was unusual because it was the first secular tune to be a commercial hit and it sets the stage for more Christmassy songs steeped in a sense of longing. But we've got to get, we've got to get more, we've got to have somebody screaming, it's Christmas, and I can't remember who that is. So we want all those jolly tunes. We want every kind of snowy, sleigh-belly, santery, reindeery song <laughs> and then we can come back and settle down for some Bach. <laughs> Go on, Stephen, tell me about Bach. (laughs) That's what my life comes down to, isn't it? Okay, well, now tell us about Bach. No, not in a horrible way. There's so much music that was especially composed. Saint-Saëns wrote A Wonderful Christmas, a cantata, I think, and Bach wrote the Christmas Oratorio. Well, you couldn't stop Bach, actually. He wrote a cantata for every week. For Sunday, every week, there is a cantata. 
And so the Christmas Oratorio, it has a very particular feeling about it. It's Bach in his most relaxed and lyrical, I think, because he can sometimes be quite firm. He was, he was hugely religious, very profoundly religious. But there's a sort of gentleness and also a feeling of celebration in the Christmas Oratorio. What does oratorio mean? Well, an oratorio is a a narrative that is not for the stage. Uh So it's for the concert hall and, of course, then a cantata because Bach basically put together, I think, four cantatas into this major work, the Christmas oratorio. And I think he wrote each cantata for each day around Christmas. Or it might easily or have been each during week Advent. Of Advent for yes. four weeks of Advent. But there's one particularly beautiful aria which I absolutely adore, which is called Schlafe mein Liebster, Genieße der Ruhe. Sleep, my darling, enjoy peace. the peace. Enjoy your peace, which of course is is for the baby Jesus Christ. And it's set with Oba d'Amore and mezzo-soprano, and it's incredibly touching. What's Oba d'Amore? It's a type of oboe. <laughs> oboe d'Amore, I love, I love oboe. Yes, but it... it, it um... <laughs> really? Yes. Well, yes. You, you, you know we've talked about this before. There were all sorts of instruments before they got really codified in the 19th century or at least condensed. And this was one with a sound rather like a cor anglais, but actually more mellow. Cor anglais, English horn, very big oboe. about another piece of music which I know you love and I love very much, L'Enfance du Christ. That's some Berlioz, isn't it? Oh, that's such a wonderful piece. Again, the story... Look, the first time I heard this, I was a chorister. I wasn't yet in the choir, I think, and Alan Wicks did this in the cathedral. And we sat behind the railings and listened to the whole piece, wrapped. And this piece tells the story of Jesus' birth, and also Herod's persecution and the killing of children and the escape of the royal family. The royal family. The holy family. The holy family. And there's a particular carol in it that has become absolutely standard for these services of nine lessons and carols, and that's the shepherd's farewell, Mm. which is the most heavenly wonderful tune and Berlioz at his at his most lyrical and then of course at the end 
there's a narrator in L'Enfance du Christ who tells the story. And at the end, when the Holy Family is safe, the piece ends with us leaving them there and praying for them. And the whole piece ends very, very quietly. And honestly, I haven't cried that often in concerts because of the emotion. But a 10-year-old's tears I found on my face at the end. It's so touching, so personal. And then, of course, to the other end, much, much louder, Handel's Messiah. Well, Handel's Messiah, it must have the most performances of any classical work ever. All choral societies do it. It's done at all times of year. How is it constructed? It's not sung straight through, is it? It's different pieces of it, yeah, isn't well, it? Well, no. At, at Christmas, we do the whole story. Yeah. But it tells the story of the Annunciation, and you, you really must get into it and, and look at it. The libretto was constructed by a man called Charles Jennings, and they're all biblical texts from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's quite a masterpiece. Handel, incidentally, is reported to have composed it all in one sitting in 30 days. Never went out. Extraordinary. Just, he was so inspired by it. And some of it, actually, brings your, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck. Did he compose that when he was in London, do you think? Yes, I think in so. In Brook Street. Yeah. Because if you go to Handel's house in Brook Street, next door to the Jimi Hendrix house, which has been beautifully preserved, and it's tiny. You look at it and you think, this is a little tiny room, and you can see there would have been a place for what would have been, what would it have been, a spinet or a harpsichord in those days? And a little fireplace where a maid would have stoked up the fire. And this small, small room with windows looking out onto the clattering street, it would have been cobbles and horses and people slushing around the dirt and filth of outside, the noise of people selling their wares in the streets, and handled by candlelight. Candles and quills. Yes, scratching Extraordinary. and composing, just writing, writing at a manuscript. Because, of course, he probably just sat and wrote, rather like you do, rather than sitting at the piano and thinking, oh, that sounds good, and doing it like that. No, he, absolutely. The he desk. Was, the the desk and scr scratch. But Lord knows what it must have done to the eyesight. Extraordinary. Of, of all of those wonderful composers. But that was written in a blaze of inspiration, and you can hear it in the music. For me, there's a, a wonderful restative and then chorus, and suddenly there was with the angel. Mm. And Handel, of course, did believe very deeply in God. And you can feel the excitement and the thrill and the buzz of celebrating Christmas.
we tend to think of Christmas as kind of long ago. It's got a kind of long ago feeling to it. But so many people still compose. And I think in the 20th century, I think it was that Elizabeth Poston wrote Jesus Christ, the Apple Tree. One which of is, your favourite carols. Well, I think it's so extraordinary. It's so spare. And it's usually sung, I think, unaccompanied. Yes. Oh, yes. No, it's never sung unaccompanied. And it sounds it's... a bit sort of medieval. I don't know why. It sounds odd for a start. The apple tree, all of it sounds strange. But I love it because of the sense of the apple tree, the slightly kind of old green man feeling of uh, the earth providing and celebrating at Christmas time. I love that. Elizabeth Poston is hardly known for any of the other music that she wrote. But this particular carol, which is also one of my favourites, has a simplicity about it that belies the careful thought that's gone into the construction of the melody. Mm. Because when we think about it, all these old tunes that we've talked about, these old carols, have survived because the tunes are so memorable. And a memorable tune is, Whence is this goodly fragrance flowing, stealing our senses all away? I remember that singing that at school, and it sounded so strange, whence, for a start, i.e. from where, is this goodly fragrance, this lovely scent coming from. And there was something so fine and lovely about it. It's a beautiful carol, I think it is, isn't it? it I is. remember singing it at Christmas time at St Based Mary's. on a French tune. Yeah. And it's a wonderful tune. Where does it go after that? <laughs> I often have to do this at home. Yes, you do, because I don't because remember can't tunes. I remember songs. No, I start inventing them. But that one, again, it's what they call a, an, an earworm, isn't it? Yes, you, it's beautiful. It's very, very difficult to... And the thing about it is that it's a long phrase. Yes, it's lovely. It's long. I love Bethlehem Down, and to my shame, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's got beautiful words, but it's quite, again, quite sombre. Quite a lot of these things, rather like We Three Kings from Orient Are, which is set in a minor key, and the third verse of that is Myrrh is mine, because they bring their things, and they say gold and frankincense, but then Myrrh is mine. Its bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. That's quite dark stuff. I think... And all well, in a minor key, too, and you go, ooh, I didn't expect this at Christmas. One of the things that you, that thinking about this Christmas music has done to me is, is that I began to look at all of the words mm. 
because, of course, the automatic nature of someone like me that grew up singing in a cathedral and being associated with church. And my father, of course, was a lay clerk. So we always went to midnight mass and Christmas Day service at Christmas when I was very small. And it can become automatic. But when you read the construction of these carols, they've all got such remarkable texts, haven't they? They have. And I'm often asked to read at carol services. And sometimes they say, would you like to choose a piece? And I was doing something with the great actor Simon Russell Beale, and I said, I don't know what to choose, Simon, because I don't want to do something very merry and funny. I want to do something. He said, have you thought of choosing, reading out the words from one of the carols? And he actually said, why don't you do It Came Upon a Midnight Clear? Yes. So I did it. And you read that out. It's, and it's a quite story. Extraordinary. It's a sort of story yes. with a little bit of instruction there, which is stop fighting, listen to the angels. Yes. Beautiful. We're coming to the end of our time. No, have you hung up your Christmas stocking yet, Stephen? No, I don't have to put on that silly voice. We've got to come to the end of this Christmas. Yes, but thing. please, but I please just on. tell me which other carols, what could you not... Do without. Yes. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is extremely beautiful, but sometimes it goes up very high. Oh, it's so always now, high. I know, and it goes up to that slightly screechy bit. And women's nostrils flare, and they put that slight sort of hat expression on because they don't know how to I'm get up really there. I'm really sorry, and you their know, throats hurt. Chaps, so look, chaps, if you find it too high, go an octave lower. No, no, oh. I, I cannot stand transposing it down because it Mendelssohn wrote it in G, and it's sometimes transposed into. Oh, that's gloomy. But honestly, the men must carry this because because they, they can shout it out. Very bright and nice. And then again. Uh... We haven't and even honestly, gone into descants. Sometimes descants are gorgeous and sometimes they're an absolute of men nightmare. who suddenly leap down the octave. Oh, Just I know, go this. for it. Look, we, I, I want to talk. We, we can't. We can't do descants in this time because we haven't got enough of it. But you know when we come to O Come All Ye Faithful, O Come let us adore him. And people don't know how to do it because there are three of those. And people give you such shooting looks if you st- if you continue to sing. So apparently it's babies and children or literally toddlers who are supposed to sing the first verse in a little hushy, hushy whisper. <laughs> then girls are allowed to join in or shrill, wobbling lady hats. And then the men come in. Men come in first. Yes. So what are we allowed to do? I like to sing quite quietly in all of them. And w- what about the tradition, you know, Oh, I quite like that. You like doing that, don't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Everybody should really absolutely let rip in these, uh, these extraordinary carols. What lovely carol shall we go out on or what piece of music? I think a carol would be suitable. I have one that I would like to suggest. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so many, aren't there? Yeah. In Dolce Jubilo. Yeah, I do. do. And half them... In Dolce Jubilo... And every other verse, every other line is written in Latin. That's right. It's a traditional carol, i.e. the tune comes from so far back. And the famous arrangement, again, 19th century, was a man called Pearsall. These names always appear in programmes arranged, Mr Pearsall. But in Dolce Jubilo, in his version, for a lot of divisions in the choir, so there'll be eight parts, 
it's just like bells chiming. Gorgeous. Very gently chiming. And that's very much a Christmas Eve carol. Well, we're going to go out with that. But first of all, we're going to say Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) In Dulce, you below. been listening to Joanna and the Maestro, a cup and nozzle burning bright productions and Bauer media show. It's presented by me, Joanna Lumley, and my husband, Stephen Barlow. Our executive producers are Matt Everett, Graham Hodge, and Clive Tullow. The show is produced and edited by Hunter Charlton, and mix and mastering is by David Bloor. Our head of production is Rebecca Mills. Our production manager is Sarah Anderson, and our production coordinator is Maxim Taylor. All music for the intros is supplied courtesy of Naxos Music UK. In this episode, you heard the following music. The Boar's Head, performed by the Chieftains. The publisher was BMG Rights Management UK, and the record label was BMG Entertainment. I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, written by Tommy Connor and performed by the Runettes. The publisher was Blue Ribbon Music Limited, and the record label was Phil Spector Records under exclusive license to EMI Blackwood Music, Still Knocked, performed by the King Singers. The publisher was Moncure Street Music Limited. The record label was Signum Records. Coventry Carol, performed by the choir of King's College, Cambridge, conducted by Sir David Wilcox. The record label was Decca Music Group Limited. Adam Lay Bounden, composed by Boris Ord and performed by The Sixteen conducted by Harry Christophers. The publisher was Faber Music Limited, and the record label was The Sixteen Productions Limited. In the Bleak Midwinter, written by Harold Dark, and performed by the choir of King's College Cambridge, Daniel Hyde, Matthew Martin, and Owen Elsley. The publisher was Stainer and Bell Limited, and the record label was King's College Cambridge. Sleigh Ride, written by Leroy Anderson. The publisher was EMI Mills Music Limited. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Written by Martin and Blaine and performed by Judy Garland. The publisher was EMI Music Publishing. And the record label was Demon Music Group Limited. Last Christmas. Written by George Michael and performed by Wham. Their publisher was Warner Chappelle Music International. And the record label was Sony Music Entertainment. White Christmas. Written by Irving Berlin and performed by Bing Crosby. The publisher was Universal Music Publishing, and the record label was Nasjon Properties. Christmas Oratorio, Part 1. Written by Johann Sebastian Bach, and performed by Ferdinand Grossmund, the Vienna Symphony, and Academy Kamenkor. The record label was Menuetto Classics. Christmas Oratorio, Schlaf mein Liebster, Geniste Daru. Written by Johann Sebastian Bach and performed by Barnaby Smith and Illyria Consort. The record label was Voices 8 Records. L'Enfant du Christ, Opus 25. The Shepherd's Farewell. 
written by Hector Berlioz and performed by the choir of Trinity College, Cambridge, Richard Marlowe and Philip Rushforth. The record label was Conifer Records Limited. Messiah, HWV 58. And suddenly there was with the angel, Glory to God in the Highest, written by George Frederick Handel and performed by the London Philharmonic Orchestra and Walter Suskind. The record label was Madassey Special Products. Jesus Christ the Apple Tree, written by Elizabeth Poston and performed by the Sixteen and Harry Christophers. The publisher was Multitude of Voices, and the record label was the Sixteen Productions Limited. Whence is that goodly fragrance flowing? Performed by the choir of King's College Cambridge and David Wilcox. The publisher was Oxford University Press, and the record label was Parlophone Records Limited, a Warner Music Group company. In Dolce Ubelo, performed by the choir of King's College Cambridge, Simon Preston and Sir David Wilcox. The publisher was Oxford University Press, and the record label was Decca Music Group Limited.